Welcome to the Small Business Buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur, Kimberly Hanlon. Today, I'm talking about your employees and social media, and what you can and cannot discipline them for when it comes to social media posts about your company. And we have mediator Anita Motolinia here to talk with us about relationship dynamics in family-owned businesses, and how you can work through conflict instead of around it. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, let's get to it. As a business owner, and especially as a small business, what is said about you and your company online and on social media can make a huge impact on your business. A small business can't take a whole lot of negative press without it radically skewing public perception, because let's face it, a small business just doesn't have that larger following to begin with. If your business is a small local business and someone starts a negative dialogue about you on social media, and if it gets even a little bit of engagement, then that one dialogue really has the potential of, well, one, being noticed, and two, actually influencing the person who notices it. If you're Coca-Cola and someone says something negative about you on social media, it almost immediately disappears in the current. There's so much other content being generated about Coca-Cola every minute or even every second that that negative comment barely even registers. You would have to have, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30% of all comments being made to be negative to have the same impact that one negative comment, let alone a dialogue, can have on a small business. That's why small business owners take negative postings by their employees even more seriously. Not only can it stand out in and of itself, but it can have an even harder impact in that the credibility of the post is huge. People think, this isn't just some crank, this is an insider. This must be the real picture. So, as a business owner, you might want to clamp down on your employees being able to post negative stuff about your company online and on social media. Well, not so fast. You may have an interest in protecting your company's reputation, but your employees have a right to free speech. And even more than that, your employees have a right to talk about your workplace and working conditions with each other as part of a concerted action under the National Labor Relations Act. And it's okay for them to do that in a public forum, like on social media. Now, that doesn't mean they can totally defame or slander you. It doesn't mean that a personal rant is protected. But other than that, what your employees post likely will be considered protected speech. So, what do you need to know? First of all, if you have an employee who says something negative about you online or on social media, by gosh, don't fly off the handle and discipline them, or even talk with them about it before you talk with your attorney to see if what the person said is protected speech or not. The law is evolving on this, so sometimes it can be a moving target. But if you're going to err, err on the side of caution. Next week I'm talking about some cases and even a new ruling that has come out about this, so you'll want to catch that. Okay, going back to what you need to know. You can make a social media policy in your company, and you should. You just can't have a policy that curtails your employees' rights to free speech and rights to concerted action. So, you might be wondering, what can you prohibit them from posting? 
You can keep them from posting negative stuff about you on your customers or clients' websites and social media. And you can keep them from posting harassing stuff on your other employees' social media. And you can control what is on your own social media outlets. So when it comes to whatever they post as an agent of your business, you can make strict rules about what can and cannot be said. And you can discipline an employee for not following those rules. On a side note, if you're going to have someone who works for you managing your social media and posting for your company, it's a good idea to have a plan in place for taking down posts that don't reflect the company's message and a response plan in case something inappropriate does go out on the company channels and gets shared. If you'd like to know more about this topic, be sure to check out today's blog post. The link is on my show notes, or you can find it on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's K-H-A-N-L-O-N-L-A-W.com. And while you're at it, sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In each newsletter, I have articles that'll help you in running your business, and sometimes I have bonus materials for you to download for free. Okay, up next is my interview with Anita Modulinia. Life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you. Okay, I'm here with mediator Anita Modellinia, and we're going to talk today about the dynamics of family-owned businesses. So thank you for being here, Anita. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad to have you on the show. As you know, but the people in, out in the podcast world don't necessarily know, you are my really go-to mediator. Um, really, I've seen miracles unfold when you get into a case. Thank so you. thank you for that. Let's start by talking about what you see, and I suppose what I see too, are a little bit different about family-owned businesses as opposed to the average small business. Yeah, the the family-owned business has unique challenges. They're working with people they've been around their whole lives. And so I see that they're going to deal with, or they are dealing with, layers of issues. And... One of the things that I notice is that there's the, the initial pattern that they're used to with their family member. So things either are said too much or go unsaid. They're assuming certain things because of those patterns. And uh, they are sometimes just afraid to rock the boat and have the conversation they need to have. What that does is affect the workplace situation and, and the bottom line, usually. So we've got a, a dynamic with a family business where um, it's suffering, be it bottom line, um, pr- productivity, 
growth. Maybe they're doing great, but they're not experiencing the growth that they want to have. And so imagine that you have a frustrating work situation, which people have all the time in, in business settings, and um, and you're having that frustration with one of the people you love most in the world or multiple people who are, you know, in your family. Um, so they're, they're compounding the issue because of that love, and sometimes there's hate. If it's a sibling relationship or a complex um, parent relationship, parent-child relationship, so it's a maybe a love-hate situation, and then that added to the, the passion for the business um, is, is really what creates the uniqueness. I think some, one of the things that I see is that people are willing to say to family members things that they wouldn't say to a non-family member. That's one, one aspect of it. Another is nobody knows your buttons more than the people who are related to you. And so you take those two things, and it can be a perfect storm for uh, workplace drama. And I have a family-owned business, and I, I actually work, my mom and I co-own um, an executive suites together, and we, we just happen to have a dynamic that really works for us, and we're just lucky and blessed. That's all I have to say about that. I'm just, it's my greatest good fortune that I um, own that business with my mom, and we work together so well. But I certainly have seen plenty of, of cases where in family-owned businesses, they are willing to say things to each other that I thought, wow, if if that had been a non-family member, I mean, that would be almost an actionable lawsuit. Yes, I, I agree with you. That, that does happen. And you are lucky that you have a, a great situation with your, with your mother. And I think that that's a, a lot of education that people need in communication. Um, and again, it doesn't just happen in family-owned businesses that people communicate inappropriately, but it's it's more likely to happen in a family-owned business when they are communicative and they don't draw the line between um, it, home and, and work. Um, and I would maybe go so far as to say what they might say to a sibling or a parent at home might be inappropriate too. Um, and so it's teaching people that, yes, that was fine when you were five or 10 or 15 and acting out. And now that's no longer appropriate for the relationship that you have with this person. I'm glad that you say that. What I've observed at times is that it seems people are playing out relationship dynamics that have been long established. And it's almost like the, the, conversation as it's unfolding has something more to do with what happened when they were 15 than what's happening now. But for whatever reason, it didn't get fully handled then. And so it's playing itself over and over again, sometimes. Yes. And I would agree with that, that that is definitely happening. I, I would say not even maybe, uh, because if everything was worked out, there would be no need for it. And so it certainly, um, we do revert back to that pattern and that's what makes it so challenging to be in the workplace. And when anything, you know, anything goes wrong, it's very easy to fall back to that. It's not comfortable. It's a familiar pattern. 
Uh, so people, again, will say things that may be not appropriate in a workplace situation. Um, and oftentimes in a family-owned business, you have non-family members working there too. And so to add to the, the frustration and to, to the, um, the mix will be a non-family member in a very uncomfortable position noticing what's happening. So they might walk into a conversation that is perfectly normal for the family uh, and but not for this non-family member, um, which also adds to non-productivity, unease about the workplace situation. Yeah, and it, and it can impact morale, too. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So when you've worked with family-owned businesses where there's been conflict, what have you been able to do to sort of diffuse that or help people work through that? What I like to do is work through, you said that perfectly, work through it and not around it. So we don't ignore that there is an emotional component and a deeply held pattern. We talk about it, we work with it as much or as little as they need to and want to. And I, I find that the best way to do that is to face it head on, confront it, and um, and then we're able to work through the the hard practical issues that are related to their business. Once they can see that this is the person they love or with whom they're in conflict and that they have a common goal, then things go much easier in terms of how do we resolve this business issue. But we just can't ignore the pattern and we can't ignore the emotions. When people in a family-owned business come to you, are they surprised that they are dealing with the emotional component? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. And sometimes within the same family, I'll get a division of some people just clearly didn't expect to have to deal with that. They want to handle the practical issue, and um, and that's fine. And some people, you know, come, come around to that. Some people never do. And some people are ready right away and know that that's going to be something. So it's, ver it's varied. I know from experiencing mediations with you that you just take people however they are, and however they are is fine. And I think that is, um, I don't know, I think you have a, a special gift for that. Thank you. Well, we have to start where they are. And um, and the, the important part for them is, you know, if I don't notice that, they're not going to get through it and, and get to the next step. And so sometimes that means we have to work independently where we work. I work with people individually to either um, slow them down or speed them up and get them all on the same page. And that's an important part of the work that we do together. I know there's a lot of different mediation models out there. And I'm sure that people in podcast land don't know about, you know, evaluative and facilitative and all of that. <laughs> um, but just for like practical purposes, would you would you just um, describe for us what your model or your method is? Well, my model is to really mix different methodologies. Um, I've come to realize that there's no magic pill. And while I, as I learn different styles and different tools, 
and the different models that are out there. And, and there's always something new around the corner, which I love, um, that each one has a value. Um, and each person can be, you know, affected in a good way or bad way by, um, by what I choose to, to use with them. So I trained in facilitative mediation initially and loved it, loved practicing. It's a great model. And what I learned was that there are others out there. And as I started training in other models, um, I learned transformative next. I learned that I could build upon that and be flexible. Um, and I think that's the key for my practice anyway, is that I can gauge at any moment what, what's going to work for somebody. When something's clearly not working, I can shift to a different model or to a different uh, skill set. And um, because mediation, you know, it's, it's about people figuring, figuring out a problem for themselves. Um, it's really about them and not about me and what my comfort level is. Uh, so I, I find that the, the models are great, but they can also constrain people. So, um, so I want to make sure that I'm fluid along with the clients and they're getting what they need from me. There's also, um, a restorative justice model that I like to use because I believe in mediation, there's always a component of repairing a damaged relationship. That is, is really what transforms people and takes people through without me in, in solving their own problems. So I like to incorporate the restorative justice piece and sometimes more than others. And I also rely a lot on communication skills. Well, that explains to a certain extent how I've seen what I would describe as almost like miracles arise out of um, your being able to help people work through what they're, the issues and what they're going through. Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. And it really is what the clients, the clients do the work and, and I just get to watch them and, and guide them through it. And I feel very honored and lucky to, to do that. Yeah, well, and I know they do the work, but I mean, sometimes it's, these are conflicts that have been festering for a long time and in creating the condition in which each person can take a step towards reparation, reparation makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mediation is, does have a magical quality. I would say that that's what drew me in and what keeps me there and um, what I would want people to know about it is that there are traditional ways to handle conflicts um, and and that and they're great and and I think but people need to know there's other there are other options for them and they can use them in conjunction with traditional methods and I think that that's you know again the the beautiful thing about what I get to do is that people have a new way of dealing with something that not only helps them through the issue that they're dealing with right now, which is very painful and very difficult, and sometimes people don't even realize until they stop dealing with it how significant it was in their lives and impactful, and which is sometimes even better because they, they have this moment of transformation, but it takes them through the next difficult thing. There's always something difficult and challenging that we, we get to encounter in life, whether it be in the workplace or at home and um, or with a teenager. 
and they get to learn new skills out of this that they will apply sometimes unknowingly for that I've, next challenge. I have seen that happen where I've had a client and um, out of doing this sort of work, they've been able to go back and the next challenge that they face, instead of falling back into sort of adversarial conversations, they have the ability to navigate it better. And they learn how to cooperate instead of... Butt heads. Butt heads, <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's take a quick break. mentioned about um, traditional conflict methods, which I, I mean, as a lawyer, I think about, oh, well, the traditional method is the adversarial court system. Yes. I have found that people are more satisfied with the end result when they are empowered and have something to do with reaching the outcome or the result, even when that outcome or the result would have been the exact same as what would have been handed down by a judge in in a court process. That there's just something about people having a say that makes a difference for them. Yes. Uh, good observation, Kimberly. Have you, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and been told you should, whatever, you know, the, the you can fill in the blank? Okay, and this is how it goes when somebody says to me, you should anything. I go, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I know for myself, I've, I've been told a, a number of times, you should, and it could be the same exact advice on the same exact issue, and I will choose to, to go the opposite way. And um, as soon as, and, I, and I've been the one giving the advice too, I've been the, the person saying, you should. And it's funny to me that, down the line six months later, they'll maybe take that advice and come back to me and say, you know, I decided 
I had this idea and I decided to do it. And I'll be thinking to myself, well, I told you that six months ago. And, you know, how come you didn't? But, but it really is that idea that I want to come up with it myself. Everybody has that. Some, some to a, a larger degree than others. And, um, and so yes, when you come up with the idea yourself, and that's, that's really what I'm invested in. And what I'm committed to is helping people come up with that idea themselves. And oftentimes they will come up with a better idea than what I have because they know their life. They know what's going on and, and how to best solve the problem. I love it when a mediation ends and then people who walked in at the beginning and could hardly look at each other, they were so mad, are walking out and saying, okay, well, we're out for lunch tomorrow, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. I love that too. I, I had a really great experience with a mediation, a workplace mediation where the two parties were, were fairly angry um, and there were tears and um, and they left actually laughing together and they were they were friends. They were friends at one point, had lost that friendship for a few years. But when they were walking out of that room, I actually had to interrupt them to end the meeting because they were talking about old times and they were talking about new memories they were going to create. And I had to say, well, I, I think I need to leave. <laughs> I need to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you figured this out. Yeah. And they walked out of the room laughing and talking and, and that's so rewarding and, and they probably never envisioned that coming in. Yeah, I can imagine. So you said that they came in and they were like at a high level of hostility walking in. How How is that for you dealing with people who are expressing a lot of hostility? I mean, sometimes people are, I mean, they're expressing what they're expressing, but they're also embarrassed by it, but then it's what they have to express. Yeah, no one should be embarrassed about expressing something because it, it, it is what it is. And I, and I actually am honored that they can express it in that setting. And it's important that people are able, short of physical violence, um, you know, that, that's something I won't tolerate in the room. And, um, but, but it, short of that, if, if people need to get angry or raise their voice a little bit, um, I think as long as the other person's okay, doing okay with that, then it's an important step to have. They needed to have that step. And, and again, it's it's the moving through, not around piece. When you're censoring yourself, you're not saying what you need to say, and, and, and there's not as much opportunity for resolution in that case. So I, I do want that to happen to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, and then let it pass. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Anita, what... What tip or tips do you have for people, whether they're in a family-owned business or not, but maybe particularly in a family-owned business, if they find themselves in conflict, mm -hmm. what, what tips do you have for them on handling that? The first thing I'll say is something everybody's heard before, but it really is an important step, is to step back and take a deep breath. We don't realize when we're in conflict that we're not breathing regularly and we're not functioning at our normal level because we're, we've got a lot going on in our heads about the, the situation and, and that's normal. It's perfectly normal. So the first thing is take a deep breath. 
The second thing is know that the thoughts in your head are okay and you need to be aware that you, you don't need to be ashamed of any negative thoughts that you have towards your family members because they're perfectly normal. But to be aware that you're having them is, is a big, a, a big thing to notice. And, um, and so once that's done, stepping back and, and having that awareness, you're able to approach it in a different way. So my next tip would be to, um, challenge yourself to approach it in a different way, not the way if it's a sibling, don't go to them the same way you would have gone into their room and said, stop taking my clothes or stop, you know, stealing my books or whatever it is they stole from your room. It's not, you're in a different situation, so you want to approach it differently and think about your sibling, parent, family member in a different way as a human being. And and then see that that might change how they come, how they respond to you. If it doesn't help, then be aware that there are professionals that are there to help you that have a different perspective of your business, of your family, and it's very difficult to pull yourself out of the perspective you're in, and that's why these professionals exist. So don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, I like what you said about um, noticing the thoughts that you're having and then just being in a space of acceptance of them. I did some work, uh, I don't know, a handful of years ago, and uh, it had made an, a huge impact on me, that work that I did. And I learned in doing it that thoughts are something that just arise. You have no control over them, and they're not true. Yes. And you are not your thoughts. Yes. And, and you so, might have really some nasty thoughts about your, your sibling, for example. And, or even yourself. Or yourself. And, and it's not the truth. It's not the truth, and it's also nothing to be ashamed of. And then... What I find is people not only have the negative thought, but then they they shame themselves for it and they feel guilty on top of it. And that's a hard emotional state to get out of. So you don't need to feel guilty about it and you can move on and you, and you can think different thoughts and you can also change how you feel about your family member. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Thank you though. That's a, it's, it's good for people to be, to recognize that that they are going to have those thoughts and that they're not always true. It's not always how they really do feel. I, I did work with a, a really remarkable family that worked together. And um, and there were some difficult dynamics between the siblings, especially. And they went between um, having this great love for each other, that they, they loved each other and wanted the best for each other, and yet didn't always feel so warm and fuzzy or so good about each other when they were in the throes of a, a difficult work issue. And they had tremendous guilt over having those feelings and thoughts. Well, I think when there is a lot of like deep love or, or strong emotional ties, it is easy to have strong emotions just in the opposite way. I mean, people don't usually explode because they're apathetic. Right. 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 Yeah, they care and they're, pa again, passionate about their family and about their business. Yeah, I've noticed that too. The, the The cases that I've had where there's been a lot of conflict within a family business um, or even a closely held business that isn't a family business, but the people are like family to each other. And if when there's volatile conflict, there's also like a deep, deep caring. Yes. Yeah, that isn't always expressed. Yes. 
And that's a, that's another thing you can start from that if you like. Start from the caring place and recognize that you do care about this person, and that's why you are so upset. I've also seen that once in those cases they are able to work through whatever is the issue, man, when those people get aligned, those businesses just succeed and prosper like nobody's business. Absolutely. And that is the goal. And that's what they want. They all want the same thing. And that's what we want them. We want for them as as our clients. We want them to succeed. And, and that's absolutely possible when they when they allow that to happen. Well, Anita, thank you so much for being here today. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more or, or might even want to contact you about helping resolve their own conflict? I would absolutely welcome people contacting me with questions. I offer a free consultation, and you can reach me at 612-840-0180. You can also send me an email with an inquiry at anita at anitamotolinia.com. And my website, which I'll spell for you, my last name, I know it's a challenging one, but my website is anitamotoliniamediation.com. It's A-N-I-T-A. Motolinia is M-O-T-O-L-I-N-I-A. And I'll put a link on our show notes as well. Great. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Anita. It's always wonderful getting together with you. Oh, it was a pleasure. I enjoy talking with you so much and love your perspective. And I'm, I'm always happy to be with you, Kimberly. Oh, thanks, Anita. Thank you. Thanks for having me. next week for the Small Business Buzz when I tell you about a new development in the law regarding social media and your employees. We also visit with executive coach and leadership trainer Les Hill about communication and effectiveness, and he'll give us some golden nuggets from his toolbox. You can find links and other useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com, and be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a good rating and maybe even leave a review. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer, and here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. And the music interlude is Pretty Lights by Fog Lake, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.